1093 WBT. Pete Callender Show. Welcome. 704-570-1110. 1-800-WBT-1110. Last night, the Mecklenburg Board of County Commissioners voted to approve a non-discrimination ordinance. And it was in that vote-taking that I first noticed that they were not getting responses from one of the county commissioners. Yet, in the article today, as well as uh, I had confirmed with the, uh, the clerk's office at the county, is that the, the, this was a unanimous vote. And I will tell you here, hang on a second. Um, do, 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 it was... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To do, looking at the email, nine to zero, nine to zero, which means Ella Scarborough was counted as a yes vote, although she did not verbally cast her vote, I, or yay, or yes, right? She didn't do that. So how are they counting her vote? And maybe I'm just missing it. Maybe there's some other way that they're registering the vote. Maybe it's a a keyboard vote that I just can't see. But this is at the heart of what. These two county commissioners were promoting, Laura Meyer and Elaine Powell, what they were promoting, this idea that you need to be voting on camera. We need to see you when you vote. We need to see you when you speak, too. And that's probably directed at Vilma Leak. All right, so let me bounce over here to Ron. Hello, Ron. Welcome to the show. What's up? Hey, man, I was just uh, sorry if I'm background distraction. Hey, I was just curious with them voting from home. I mean, or working, uh, excuse me, you know, doing their uh, remote. Yeah. Why aren't they in chambers? Don't they have their shots? (laughs) I mean, I mean, I I work uptown. I mean, I've got my shots. I'm allowed to go back in the office. I have to wear a mask. But, you know, it's like, don't, don't they get to go back in the office? So they actually, before they got to this discussion about voting on camera, they actually passed a motion to go back into in-person meetings. So, uh, and there was an effort actually to uh, to uh, delay it into November. They didn't. Uh, there, there was this effort to push it all the way back into November, and that barely failed. Um, but I don't know how Pat Cotham, or uh, sorry, uh, Ella Scarborough voted on that. But there was one vote that was a five-four split, and I believe she would have been counted as a yes vote. And so you can see why some of these commissioners might be a little upset if they're losing 5-4 votes and Scarborough is just getting counted as a yes vote and is not actually voting. I'm yeah, I'd be pretty ticked off, too, if that's happening, which maybe we should find out if that's actually happening. Is she always just being counted as a yes vote or what? I don't know. Um, but, yeah, that, that, that came up. They did decide in two weeks, though, that they're going to come back into in-person meetings. Oh, OK. Everybody well, else has. Yeah, I mean, to your point, like everybody else, like the city is back in person. They're doing like a hybrid school boards back in person, but the county commission not. <laughs> so. Yeah, I know. It's like if they haven't got their shot, then they should follow their own rules and be um, be fired. So, <laughs> that's that's right. it. so that that's, that was my that was my curious question. I've always haven't seen them. You know, everything's remote. It's like yeah. get back in there. Yeah, no, that's a really great point. I appreciate it, Ron. Thanks. Um, I mean, you too. No, that's it. Because this is the same organization, the county. Right. And he's he's exactly right. They that they just fired a whole bunch of people because they did not get vaccinated. And so like the county staffers, they're all coming back. I think they said 
they're coming back on Monday or is it November 1 or something? I don't remember what, because they were, uh, Dina DiOrio, the, the county manager, was asked that. Um, but the county, they're, all the employees are still not completely back and they're firing people. Like, this is like this, this is insanity, some of this stuff. It's insanity. Like, and I'm not sure people who are, who, the folks who are so absolutely terrified of dying from COVID, I'm not sure that you guys fully appreciate how insane, and I'm not using that term as in like, oh, you're crazy. I'm saying like literally insane, like clinically insane. You sound on some of this stuff. Like I saw there's now been several cases where kids who are trying to go to the college, go to university, and they're not allowed to attend remote classes unless they too are vaccinated. That's insane. That's insane. I'm not even in the building. I'm not even on the campus. I'm on a computer at home. And you're telling me that I have to get vaccinated or else I get expelled and you keep my tuition? That's insane. But this is where we are. Um, let me go over here to Stenson. Welcome to the show, Stenson. You had a comment about the uh, the ad that Charles Graham, the state representative, has been running. Uh, yes. Uh, he was talking about that battle between the Lumbee and the uh, Ku Klux Klan. Yeah. There was another battle called Battle of Athens in 1946 where the uh, uh, it was a a local rebellion by the citizens of Athens, Tennessee, and Etowah, Tennessee, against the local government in August 1946. It included World War II veterans, and they accused the local officials of predatory policing, police brutality, political corruption, and voter intimidation. And these city fathers were doing things like stopping Greyhound buses that were going through the county and charging everybody on the bus with uh, being intoxicated, intoxicated and throwing them in jail, and uh, collecting the, uh, you know, the uh, bail money mm-hmm. and putting it in their own pockets. Um, they took over, and uh, yeah, there was an armed insurrection, literally a, a firefight. Over yeah, the election. And, and they, they had dynamite and stuff, and they blew the front doors off of the city hall yep. to get the uh, voting, uh, uh, the poll boxes, so that the uh, city fathers wouldn't stuff the ballot boxes. Yeah. But you see, that, but that, right, but that, that kind of fraud. That. Yeah, that kind of fraud would never happen. Uh, ever there's again. Movie, there's that, a movie on uh, <laughs> YouTube called uh, uh, American Story Battle of Athens, 1946, and it's a hallmark movie and it's 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 a fairly accurate representation of what they gotcha. went through all right yeah hey uh stenson i appreciate the call glenn beck wrote about it as well in one of his books uh, if i recall correctly let me get over here to robert real quick before the break hey robert what's up hey pete so i had an idea yeah if they don't have to be accountable and visible when on the zoom session yeah when they go back into chambers what's to stop them from just calling in and putting their voices over speaker rather than actually being there in person this is so you mean like in non-covid times yeah yeah this is actually the this is part of the problem um that uh came up before covid which was 
Some people wanted to be able to join remotely, and I think it was Pat Cotham. She is she was recovering from surgery or something like that, and she wanted to dial in. And there was this fight because she was going to cast a vote that people didn't like, and so they tried to block that, or I think they did. I I wasn't here at the time, but I, I as I understand it, that's where this history lies. And so, uh, yeah, you got hurt feelings about this, and these people. Politics is about relationships. I always say this, and. People who kind of look at it from the outside, it's like they they think for some reason that everybody is just all, you know, cutthroat and ideological. A lot of this stuff is just personality driven. And uh, if you got done wrong by some people on the board, then maybe you're trying to get a pound of flesh. You know, um, it's a th- that's a fair point. What is to stop somebody from dialing in and casting votes and not ever having to actually face the public in those meetings? Yeah, it's a fair question. Maybe you should have a policy about it. A programming note later on in the show, we're going to have former congressman, current U.S. Senate candidate Mark Walker on. So stay tuned for that. Last night also at the county commission meeting, there was a presentation about the latest uh, on the COVID numbers. Um, and I've got the chart in front of me here. And... It is declining. The number, the daily uh, case counts, the seven-day rolling average case count, it's dropping. So I'm guessing all of the masking and the vaccinations and everything worked again just in time. (laughs) Right? Isn't that what? Or, and just hear me out on this, I'm not a, I'm not a scientist here, but I'm, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the 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 long-term trend it goes all the way back to March of two, uh, 2020 and it kind of goes up goes to like 400 case counts per day rolling average the daily case count it goes to like 400 and then it kind of drops down again and it goes way up into like the December through January time frame way up like high point there's like 1200 1300 cases per day then it drops down into March again. Then there's a little bump, like a little, like a little rebump, like an echo, kind of bumps up a little bit in April, and then it drops again. Oh, the glorious days of June and July. Remember those days? Late May, all of June, early July, and we're like, yeah, we're through it, and all this. And then wha-bam, it's back up again. Now, looking at this, the case count numbers. It never hits the same peak that we hit back in December time frame. And this is just the case counts, okay? Um, and if you listen to this show now for any period of time, you know I do not go through these data points because I view them very much like statistics that you can use uh, to skew your coverage. You can use it to support an argument, especially when you're taking a snapshot I am more interested in the trend line. Now, part of the problem we have had is that uh, as the virus was brand new um, and we were trying to figure it out, we didn't have a trend line. So we have to wait and see. And by the way, this is one of the reasons why I keep sort of updating my positions on, you know, the responses and policies, because As this stuff becomes known, we have to then weigh the new evidence. So, for example, um, we've got Sweden, Denmark, 
they're now halting the Moderna shot for younger people because of potential side effects. The Swedish Health Authority cited new data on the increased risk of heart inflammation as a reason for the pause for those aged 30 and under. And Denmark is stopping the Moderna shot for those younger than age 18. Now, me saying that is not advocacy for people to not get the shots. I just want to be very clear about that. And full disclosure, I have both of the the vaccines. I mean, I got Pfizer. I don't have Moderna, but I got two Pfizer shots. So I'm, you know, I'm not an anti-vaxxer here. I'm not promoting, you know, non-vaccination. I'm simply pointing out that these governments have made new decisions based on the science and data, which is the mantra that we always hear from Governor Cooper. And we don't actually ever hear science and data. We just hear what his preferred route is, his preferred policy is, and then he invokes the mantra of science and data to explain it. He just says the two words, and that explains it. For everybody, apparently, that's good enough. It's not good enough for me, but it's good enough for the people that are given access to the governor, I guess. So now you've got two nations that are saying, you know what, we're, we're halting these shots for uh, younger people because of potential side effects, which heretofore have been banned from social media platforms. Any discussion of this stuff? In fact, uh, I just had, I've got a Facebook group. It's free. It's a private group. And um, there, uh, you know, we got a bunch of people in there. And I got an alert yesterday from Facebook that uh, somebody posted content inside of my group that Facebook removed because it was a video link of the undercover video shot by Project Veritas where they interviewed two scientists from Pfizer who were talking essentially about natural immunity, right? They were saying natural immunity is better than the shots. And so, and this is, by the way, um, you know, a year ago, nobody knew what was going to be better. And a year ago, we didn't even have vaccines, right? Thank you, Donald Trump. But so we, so we weren't sure what was going to be the better route to take. Do we try to rely on Uh, natural immunity to get to herd immunity or will we come up with some vaccines like those were the only options that were ever really presented to us even though there were other options right therapeutics which by the way me personally now i tend to view the uh the shots now as a therapeutic and i'll explain uh why in a minute first we'll head on over to the wbt news center mark garrison That's sublime. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here. All right, so I mentioned for the news break there that I now kind of view the shots not as vaccines but as therapeutics because uh, they don't stop me from getting it, right? I mean, it does reduce the symptoms. I want to be very clear, like, and I would still make the decision to get the vaccine right now because my risk assessment for me, and that's all I can talk about is for me, my risk assessment was, okay, what are the chances of me getting COVID and 
developing some, you know, really nasty side effects, uh, uh, ailments from it and dying from it. And I made a, a guess, because that's what I have to do, right? I made a guess based on comorbidities and my age and lifestyle and all that other stuff. And I said, well, um, I'm going to take my chances with the vaccine versus getting COVID. And um, I don't regret that decision. And I may at some point, but I don't right now. And I think it was the best decision for me. So now we know, though, that it doesn't stop me from spreading the virus. I could still spread it around. Right. So now, like, I don't even know what the point of the masks are any longer, because now I'm hearing people screaming about how, you know, you need to wear the mask to protect other people, which that was not the original argument either. The original argument was you wear the mask to protect others. Now, there was a sociological and psychological reason for that, because people are more likely to do stuff if they think that they are saving somebody else versus themselves. And this makes sense, right? I mean, do you work out five days a week for yourself, right? No, right? Like, well, maybe you do, but most people do not, right? People will do things for their loved one, for their friends, for their family. People, it's a it's a bigger motivator for people. Um, so that was, and this was explicit, by the way, especially in some of the mask studies that the governor cited, which I went through with John Sanders from the John Locke Foundation. There were like two dozen of these studies and John read every one of them. And then I talked with John about every study. I did not read every study. I read the top lines on them all. And we talked about all of them and went through them on the podcast like a year and a half ago. So, yeah, that was their, that was the pitch. You do it for other people. And uh, there's a sociological and a societal benefit. Okay. But now you're saying I got to wear the mask because... Um, I'm saving other people from the spread, but that's not really the case because it's aerosolized, right? And what was the other study that found uh, out of uh, Waterloo University study that it's only like 10% effective, these cloth masks that everybody wears, at best, 10% effective at at, at blocking it. Um, And it's actually worse. The masks are a worse preventative than ventilation, modest ventilation, okay? Yet nobody talks about the ventilation, right? We're all talking about masks and mandating masks and all this. No mandates for fans. No mandates for open windows. None of that. Even though that's better. Right? So this is what I mean. Some of these some of these things evolve, and we have to be able to shift course on some of this, which is why when I start seeing all of the research now coming out on the vaccinations and saying, okay, it's you, you can still get it and spread it, but it will reduce your symptoms if you do get it. Like, you'll be less sick. And if if I had to make the decision now based only on that, like if someone said, here, Pete, this is the shot and uh, you got to get two of them. And uh, if you get them both, then it'll reduce the severity of COVID if you get it. I would still do it. I would still do it. I'd still take the shots. I would. I just got my flu shot the other day. I also got a tetanus booster. I did. I'm kind of crazy like that. I just, I just like let them jab me with everything. <laughs> well, not everything, but pretty close. No, I mean, seriously, like I hadn't had a tetanus shot in like, I don't know, 20 years or so. And so they're like, oh, you want a booster? I said, yeah, sure. Hit me. Um, but I had turned it down in the past. But now, like, I'm on the health insurance. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and get one. But I always get the flu shot every year. My wife does not. Nobody harangues her about 
killing people with the flu. I don't. And I recognize it's only about half effective, which, by the way, now I've, we're hearing that the, the vaccinations, that they're only like over time, they're not durable, right? That they, they lose their efficacy over time. Now, I don't know how long that time is. Seems like five to six months is what they're saying, which is probably close to about how long ago it was that I got my shots. So if that loses efficacy, but I'm also, you know, hearing there's new new study that uh, uh, natural immunity, this one came out of, uh, where is this? Oh, UNC Charlotte. Somebody sent this to me as well. Throughout the pandemic, there's been much uncertainty about how long immunity lasts after somebody who is unvaccinated gets SARS-CoV-2. Now a team of scientists led by faculty at Yale School of Public Health and the University of North Carolina at Charlotte have an answer. Strong protection following natural infection is short-lived. Now, they don't, in this write-up at uh, inside.charlotte.edu, they don't actually, I was looking for a link here, I don't see a link to the actual study, okay? Number one. Uh, Number two, this sentence, strong protection, is short-lived. That has, that's got a lot of escape hatches. Let me just say it that way, right? That's nebulous. A couple of weasel words right in there. That's what I call them. And I, I listen for them when I'm talking to politicians and reading news stories. Like, strong protection following natural infection is short-lived. So what is strong protection? I don't know. They don't tell me. They just say it's that the strong protection is short-lived. How short? Don't know. Is it shorter than the vaccination of five to six months? Which now apparently that cuts the efficacy from like 97% down to like 47 to 50%. Which is roughly, as I understand it, that's about what a flu shot is. Which I get. Remember, I still get. Because I'll take the 50%. Yeah, I'll take my chances with that because I've had the flu. I had the flu so bad one time, like, I almost wanted to die. It was bad. So, yeah, I don't want to get that again. And if you're going to give me a 50-50 shot of not getting it again, I'll take that. Give me the jab. Oh, and it's free? Okay, yeah, I'll do that. Thank you, CVS. (laughs) Well, that's where I got the last one. This one I got in my doctor's office uh, Monday. So, um, as this stuff evolves, we have to shift the way we think of things too so that's why i kind of look at the the uh the shots now as not a vaccine because it doesn't it 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 doesn't prevent like a vaccine prevents although i know that they've changed the definition of vaccinations now too right in the dictionary they've changed that um but to me a vaccination means that it prevents you from getting the thing and that is not the case especially if it's now trailing off in efficacy. So what does this mean? Uh, you know, and by the way, like I, I have long been a believer that if you get sick from COVID-19, then you have natural immunity, and that's probably better than the vaccines. Now, how long ago did you have COVID-19? And what is apparently the case is that the, the, uh, the further out we get from the either infection or the, the shot, that the efficacy trails off. So now the question for me and many others is going to be, do we get the boosters? And I got to tell you, at this point, I'm not on board with the boosters. I'm not. Because now you're telling me 
that I have to keep taking this thing. I and and you just proved that you don't know the long-term efficacy of the shots. That's now shown to be true. And I don't mean that like to attack anybody. I'm just saying like we didn't know if this was going to be long-term durable strong prevention, right? And now it turns out okay, maybe it's not. So now you're going to sell me on what? Every a booster every 6 months? Now I have questions about what you're doing to my body because over time, every six months getting re-upped, now I have now I have concerns. By the way, one of the other things I noticed um Charlotte Observer does the breakdown. Uh, it, it comes from the Mecklenburg maps that the uh, the government puts out on uh, cases of COVID, and they break them down by zip code. And um, I did. I always find this interesting that, like the the COVID rate is highest in Uptown. The COVID rate is like high. The cases and all those, the the numbers are highest in Uptown, which is, as I understand it, then it's a hotbed of MAGA, right? That's, that's where all the Trumpers are. <laughs> They're all in Center City. <laughs> well, yeah, it makes sense, right? Because they were the ones who uh, who attacked Juicy Smollett, right? <laughs> that's what that's what Dave Chappelle called him. Jesse Smollett, right? Whatever happened to that story? Yeah. In late August, by the way, this is a story from several weeks ago, but it's been sitting in the COVID stack of stuff. So let me get, uh, just get, and I only pulled it for this, well, two points, three points, maybe here was number one, um, the uh, the joke that I made about, obviously, all of the uh, Trump supporters in Uptown. But also in late August, Atrium Health infectious disease expert, Dr. Katie Pazaretti predicted that the Delta variant could begin to burn out in two to four weeks. Really? So there's some sort of a pattern that the virus is following. This is interesting. This is seems kind of important that the virus is going to burn out. Why isn't that, I don't know, the focus of much more coverage? Because don't you think like people, if they knew that there was sort of a life cycle to the virus and you could show them the graph now that we have these trend lines, like you could show them this stuff and say, look, I mean, here it is. It's going to spike and it's going to drop off and it's going to spike and it's going to drop off. And each of the bulges, each of those spikes, they get shorter, they get lower, right? So they're not as bad. And so over time, the pandemic becomes endemic and we have to learn to live with it like we do all these other diseases that come around Every year. Um, the other thing uh, that they pegged, uh, which I thought was just interesting, they say uh, that the positivity rate, they, they talk about the, uh, the positivity rate, uh, which is, a, I think it's a survey that, peop- that they do of people um, to find out, like, you know, how positive are they about COVID? No, I'm kidding. They ask, no, what it is is, like, all right, we do this certain number of tests, and how many come back positive? And they set this uh, 5% threshold, which the paper describes as a crucial threshold. It's a crucial threshold. Okay, it's not actually a crucial threshold. It's completely arbitrary. The 5% threshold that they've set, they just picked a number. You know, why not 
Why not four? Why not 12? You just picked a number at 5%. Also, they said for more than a month, the county's highest concentration of uh, COVID-19 cases has been in Uptown in 28202, um, which is, uh, as I mentioned, the epicenter of uh, MAGA country. When they're not, they're spreading COVID when they're not committing hate crimes against famous black actors. Um, Meanwhile, let me go over here. Natural immunity to COVID is powerful. It's from the Washington Post, piece by Marty McCary. He is a, uh, what is his official title? Where is it? Uh, He's with uh, Harvard. No, I'm sorry. Cleveland, uh, or not Cleveland, uh, Johns Hopkins. He's with Johns Hopkins. And, um, you know, for some reason, I I don't have his uh, uh, title here. Anyway, um, a previous version of the article had to be corrected, but it's irrelevant. So uh, it's okay to have an incorrect scientific hypothesis, he says. When new data proves it wrong, you have to adapt. This is what I've been living with. This is what I've understood the times require of me, and I think it requires of all of us, that if you have a hypothesis, you've got a theory, you have a guess as to what's going on, then you get some new data that shows your guess was incorrect. You got to adapt. You got to change your hypothesis. And you have to acknowledge it. And I'm not going to beat you up for acknowledging that it was wrong, that this is what you had, the information you had led you to this hypothesis, and you were wrong. So now you're going to shift because this new information indicates that you need to. But a lot of elected leaders and public health officials have held on far too long to the hypothesis that natural immunity offers unreliable protection against COVID-19. It is a contention that is being rapidly debunked by science and data and NBA players who apparently are smarter than a lot of public health officials and elected leaders. Like, what's going on? Like, all right, I love the NBA players now. Like, I... I was on the outs with him over the whole China thing, but now it's like, I love NBA players. Well, except LeBron. But anyway, everybody else, like, why is it that it's taking NBA players talking about their vaccination status and asking these completely logical, rational questions in their post-game press conferences when these sports reporters who, by the way, tend to be way leftier than regular reporters, than news reporters, for real. Like, people who are, I don't understand it, like, people who get into the sports reporting business, they are, like, almost all way left. I don't get it. I don't, maybe because it's all fantasy. I don't know. And they they spend their days, like, reporting on stuff that, like, literally doesn't matter. But whatever. Like, there's an attraction there for people of that political bent. So they're over there, and they're asking these players, like, where'd you get the vaccine? And the players just walk them through. They're like, okay, so you're vaccinated, right? And they're like, yeah. Like, okay, well, you can still get it, right? Yeah. And you can still spread it, right? Yeah. So how is that any different than me? Well, if you don't get it, you could, you know, get sick and die. Right. That's my choice. So how does that impact you? Well, the overwhelming of the hospitals. That's what it always comes back to. 15 days to flatten the curve, right? Well... When we get to a point, if we get to a point here where, and I have not seen it locally, where these hospitals have been completely overrun and shut down, and like, oh, but Pete, they've got, you know, 85% full. Yeah, they should be. If 
you know, you show me a hospital that's not 80% full, their ICU beds and their, you know, the uh, uh, keeping patients in beds 80% full, you get down too low, you're going to go bankrupt, folks. You got to have people in the beds. That's how they kind of make money. <laughs> that's So uh, when you start canceling all of the non-emergency services um, and procedures, when you start doing that, then you know it's bad. And again, when that happens, when new information arises, then yes, I will be on board. Because that's I was on board with the 15 days to flatten the curve, too. And then when the 15 days turned into a month, I was like, this is ridiculous. I am out. Um, 15 studies have demonstrated the power of immunity acquired by previously having the virus. There's a 700,000-person study from Israel two weeks ago that found those who experienced prior infections were 27 times less likely to get a second symptomatic COVID infection. There's the key. Symptomatic COVID infection than those who were vaccinated. So actually recovering from it gives you better protection than a vaccine. Now, how long does it last? Here's the thing. Everybody's different. Everybody's different. So for some people, you get the shots and you're going to have durable um, protection for a while. And for somebody else who gets those same shots, just like this person, this uh, was an actor or somebody who just died double vaccinated, got COVID, and died. It does happen, too. Everybody is different, which is why you have to make your own decisions on what the risk is for you. 